Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Ben Greenfield. Ben is one of the foremost authorities in the health and wellness space. He is an incredible treasure trove of knowledge. Uh, I've been following his blog, uh, Ben Greenfield Fitness, for quite some time, and his podcast, and see him at a variety of uh, of different conferences and. Just am always impressed by the level of knowledge that he brings to the field. Uh, I was thrilled with the opportunity to sit down with him. Ben actually came over to my place and we sat down and talked all things health, optimization, and specifically brain health and cognitive optimization. And he went into some really uh, phenomenal detail on what you can do to optimize your brain and your overall cognitive health. So I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. And I want to also say that, you know, I just want to thank you guys because last week I launched an episode on gut health and it has just absolutely taken off. Uh, I'm so grateful for this community and for the feedback I've been receiving. Um, you can always hit me up, by the way, at Michael Trainer with any with any questions, comments, concerns, um, you know, any of your thoughts. I'm so grateful for you and for you being part of this community. So just a heartfelt thank you. Um, if the podcast is resonating with you, please go ahead and share it with someone who you think might find value. Uh, and as always, any ratings and reviews are appreciated because it helps us move up in the algorithm and get this message out to more folks. Um, this episode is brought to you by two of my favorite companies. Uh, the first is Kettle and Fire. Kettle and Fire is one of the world's best bone broths. It is an incredible company. They have basically all grass-fed, all grass-finished products. I've been using it to get my collagen as I rebuild my gut. Unfortunately, many of us have gut permeability. Uh, many of us don't even know that because of the prevalence of things like pesticides, glyphosate that's in so much uh, industrial farming these days. And so if you're looking to rebuild and fortify your gut, I highly recommend Kettle and Fire. Um, there's so many benefits, uh, but basically uh, collagen uh, and, the, and the, basically the amino acids that the body needs that you can find in bone broth, specifically the, the bone broth that Kettle and Fire has is the one I recommend, but it basically reduces gut inflammation, it aids in digestion, uh, it can regulate stomach acid secretion, and basically help to maintain a healthy gut uh, flora by rebuilding the intestinal walls, which is what I'm focusing on. So Really recommend kettleandfire.com. If you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll get 15% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Just Thrive Probiotic, which is the other uh, key tool in my gut rebuilding uh, arsenal. It is an incredible source of, uh, of, of basically nutrition for the gut in terms of their prebiotic as well as their probiotic, which I take on a daily basis, uh, which has a lot of the healthy bacteria you need to maintain a healthy microbiome. As I've mentioned before, you know, the gut is really our center for immunity. It's also the place where we produce uh, a great deal of our serotonin, those feel-good chemicals we all know and love. And it is absolutely linked to the health of our brains. Uh, the gut-brain uh, connection is not to be underestimated. Um, but check it out. Uh, Just Thrive is thriveprobiotic.com. And if you put in uh, peak at checkout, you will also get 15% off your order. Again, it's thriveprobiotic.com. Put in peak at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce Ben Greenfield. All right. I'm here with uh, Ben Greenfield. Ben, it's an honor to have you. Well, thank you for having me and for supplying me with a nice piping hot large cup of black coffee, which is it's one of my favorite things. How I usually start my day. Yeah. So tell me, um, I've been doing a deep amount of research into your background and your work. Um, for me, uh, a little bit of the why behind reaching out is yeah, obviously you're an elite performer. Uh, you've accomplished incredible things. But you're also, in my view, if not the foremost authority, one of the foremost authorities on 
this sort of biohacking universe and cognitive optimization. And so background, my dad unfortunately was diagnosed with dementia about three years ago. And so I, a lot of the journey that I'm on now is as a result of learning um, a bit more about cognitive health, about yes. cognitive decline, realizing that it's about to be kind of a global pandemic mm -hmm. uh, in regards to you know inflammation and inflammatory diseases, sort of these 21st century diseases. Mm -hmm. Previously, I'd been working on a music festival oriented around supporting those in developing the developing world with like diseases like malaria and polio, and then realized there's a whole new generation of inflammatory disease, and half the Chinese population is pre-diabetic. Half the U.S. population is pre-diabetic, so mm -hmm. I love the work you're doing, and would love to tap in a little bit on the context of how you preserve and enhance um, your brain. Basically, how do you how do you maximize cognitive function? Mm -hmm. What are the what are the tenets from your point of view? And I'm sure you could talk about this for hours, but if you will, for those of us, because they say cognitive decline onsets actually 30 years before the first symptom. Um, what are the ways that, that sort of this next generation, given the, the variables of toxicity and, and lifestyle factors that we can do to sort of help protect, preserve and enhance and ultimately live uh, sort of the greatest lives we can through you know, preserving and protecting our brain? It's a very involved question because when you look at, for example, Dr. Dale Bredesen's work mm -hmm. on Alzheimer's, he sometimes receives a little bit of backlash in the medical community because he uses a multimodal approach, meaning he weaves together a lot of tactics from ketosis to high-dose DHA to laser lights on your head and hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and it's difficult to isolate one of those variables and say that it has an effect on Alzheimer's or dementia when, in fact, they're all working in synergy, yeah, very similar to how when you eat a tomato for the lycopene, it's better for your prostate than taking a lycopene supplement. There's something about eating the whole tomato. So, when when you look at an approach such as Dr. Bredesen's, we're talking about dozens of different therapies or treatments or nutrients or or dietary strategies or so-called biohacks that one can use. I would say that people seem to know about some of the things that, that are effective from an omission standpoint, right? Like it's, it's kind of well known now that inflammation from the diet mm -hmm. or large amounts of sugar or even something as simple as like not learning new things can affect your cognitive performance or at least leave you behind a little bit when it comes to optimizing your brain. I think most people are aware of a lot of those things now. But there are things I would say that fly under the radar. Um, if, if I could name the first three that come to my mind, it would be neurotransmitter balance, it would be integrity of the blood-brain barrier, and it would be the health of the vagus nerve. Hmm. Uh, those are those are three things that even amongst a, a healthy, exercising, uh, decently eating population, still tend to be an issue. Uh, so, for example, that that first issue that I that I named, uh, neurotransmitter imbalances, uh, you have both excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters that are essentially the signaling molecules that you're going to use to propagate signals throughout the central nervous system. So the way that the brain is going to, to send a message to the muscles or the way that, that the gut is going to send a message to the brain. Much of this relies upon neurotransmitters that many people have probably heard of, like dopamine and serotonin and, uh, and, and uh, glutamate and a lot of these things that, be, that float around in the little clefts between the, the synapses mm -hmm. that connect neurons. Uh, neurotransmitter imbalances are something that can be caused by a variety of different issues and certain people have tendencies towards certain neurotransmitter dominances or certain neurotransmitter deficiencies. Uh, probably one of the leading authorities on this would be uh, Dr. Eric Braverman who's written a few good books about cognition and, and specifically neurotransmitters. One of the difficulties is that it's difficult to test neurotransmitters. Uh, there, there are, there's a urinary analysis that claims to be able to analyze, oh, do you have too much dopamine or not enough serotonin or, or too much glutamate? 
but what is in your urine often does not reflect what's actually in the central nervous system and, and, and floating between nerves. Mm. So it, it, it's, it's difficult to quantify at this point neurotransmitter imbalances, but in many cases, if you look at the, the qualitative things that can occur, if you've got a neurotransmitter deficiency or excess, sometimes if you have an excess of, say, dopamine or, or serotonin, you're excitable, you're moody, you show symptoms of ADD or ADHD, you have difficulty concentrating, uh, sometimes your, your sleep onset or your ability to stay asleep is not so great. Uh, what about brain fog? Uh, brain fog, in many cases, you'll see uh, a deficiency of a lot of these excitatory neurotransmitters that would keep you awake and alert. It'd be the exact opposite. You would have an excess of inhibitory neurotransmitters like... Uh, uh, compounds such as, as gamma-aminobutyric acid. Um, uh, there's another one called acetylcholine that can act in a little bit of an inhibitory manner. And, and so brain fog is typically brought on by, by excess inhibitory neurotransmitters. The things that would tend to exhaust or cause a depletion of or an imbalance in neurotransmitters would primarily stem from a lifestyle or a diet standpoint. So uh, from a lifestyle standpoint, lots of input, sensory input, input to the ears, input to the eyes, a lot of video gaming, uh, seeing movies, especially scary or exciting movies, and, and especially even more so later in the evening mm. when, you're, when your body is not primed for that rush of excitatory neurotransmitters, playing very loud, stimulating music much of the time, you know, every time you work out, relying upon that almost like a couple cups of coffee or, you yeah. know, or, a, or, a, or a, you know, a, a chunk of nicotine gum to get you through a workout. I mean, all of these are excitatory, you know, and you can, you can think of this, a lot of these lifestyle excesses, so to speak, as just sipping coffee all mm -hmm. day long. I have nothing against coffee. It's wonderful. It's rich. It's full of antioxidants. But if you if you exhaust yourself with coffee, you wind up not only becoming dependent on it to get the energy that you crave, but it creates this exhaustion of your excitatory neurotransmitter so that when you do want energy, it, it, it's less available. Mm. So living in a post-industrial era, we often fight an uphill battle against this constant state of excitatory neurotransmitter depletion or exhaustion. The fix for that is quite obvious, right? You perhaps listen to classical music in your home instead mm -hmm. of like deep house driving techno or dubstep. Mm -hmm. You uh, go on walks, but perhaps without the MP3 player or the phone, and you're simply listening to the silence and, and you're eliminating a lot of that sound pollution that tends to fill our ears. Uh, when you watch television, you, you do a little dimmer on the TV or get a, you know, I have a box on my television called a drift box that eliminates all blue light from the TV. Uh, and you wear blue light blocking glasses. Uh, there are many people now who are switching their phone to grayscale because this computer that we carry around in our pockets is full of colors and sounds and notifications that give us that little dopamine hit. You yeah. know, it's referred to by by uh, people who write books like you know Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism or Sherry Turkle's Reclaiming Conversation is almost like this slot machine in our pocket, mm -hmm. right? So. We're constantly bombarded with this excitatory stimuli, and that's the issue with the neurotransmitters. You want to, to, to put a leash on that and then, like I was talking about, do the things that cause more of the release of the inhibitory neurotransmitters. Uh, another example would be meditation, yep. yoga, napping, really protecting and prioritizing sleep things of that nature, you know, even, even like deep tissue work and, and massage. And if I could say one more thing about neurotransmitters, and then I'll, I'll talk just briefly about diet and neurotransmitters, uh, it would be that some people, uh, they're, they're kind of the complete opposite. They need excitatory neurotransmitters. They get the brain fog in the afternoon. They're, they're sleepy a lot of the time. Uh, and in, in those people, sometimes you do need more excitement. You, you do need a, more of a dopamine or a serotonin hit throughout the day, preferably not from coffee or smart drugs or neurotropics or central nervous system stimulants, but things that simply bring excitement into your life, right? Mm -hmm. Art, 
music, uh, uh, learning new skills, you know, which, which is, is another wonderful way to just enhance building new neuronal connections in the brain anyways. You know, it's called neurogenesis. You get this big release of brain-derived neurotrophic factor when you learn these new skills. Uh, basically, what you're trying to do is introduce healthy excitement into your life. You know, you see uh, a, a, a flux of inhibitory neurotransmitters often associated with things like depression, for example, you know, and, and feeling down. A lot of times that's because someone needs more excitement in their life. And, mm-hmm. and many of us, however, have the complete opposite issue. We are simply overstimulated and, and have too much going on. From a dietary standpoint, one of the primary, well, Three of the primary things that neurotransmitters are, are comprised of would be amino acids, which you would derive from a diet rich in whole protein, right? So that's one thing is to make sure you're getting, you know, the approximate value is about 0.55 to 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight per day. The carnivorous crossfitter is easily achieving that, you know, with their steak and their eggs and their bacon. I would say that it's more difficult in a plant-based diet. You know, you need to combine a lot of seeds and nuts and grains and preferably if you're pesca or ovo, you know, include fish, include eggs, but you want to make sure that you're getting enough amino acids into your diet. Um, and you, you can use amino acid supplements as well, you know, branch chain amino acids or essential amino acids to fill in some of the gaps. Uh, if you're concerned about gaining weight from excess calorie consumption from the protein, if you're trying to lose weight and, and balance your neurotransmitters simultaneously. The other two dietary components would be the vitamin B complex, which is very easily had through just a good multivitamin complex. Uh, and the third would be minerals. Uh, minerals are used as a precursor for neurotransmitters along with the amino acids and the vitamin B complex. Any particular our, minerals? Well, our produce these days is grown in very very depleted soil, right? There's a, there's a wonderful new documentary about this uh, by my friend Dr. Zach Bush called uh, Farmer's Footprint about just how poor our, our regenerative soil practices are in the U.S. So we get produce, even organic produce, and it's grown in soil that tends not to be as high in magnesium and potassium and calcium and a lot of trace electrolytes. So originally it used to be that, that you could, if you're eating a diet with a wide variety of produce in it, you, you could get a decent amount of minerals. Well, now, unless you're getting a lot of your food from, like, good, organic, rich soil that's been composted and there are even you know, uh, gardening websites and companies that sell minerals, and we use this at home in our vegetable garden, you can add minerals to the soil so the plants soak up more of it. But you can also supplement with mm-hmm. minerals. A lot of multivitamins, a good multivitamin, will have minerals added to it. They use it to chelate or to, or to bind a lot of the vitamins. You can put pinches of sea salt into your water throughout the day. You can get a good salt, like a Celtic salt or a like a Kona black salt or a Florida cell, and include this in your cooking. Put pinches of it in your water. Um, amino acids, vitamin B complex, and minerals, though, would be very important from a dietary standpoint avoiding excess stimuli from a lifestyle standpoint while also introducing um, uh, new stimuli that isn't necessarily excitatory but that causes you to learn new things you know like, again like watercolor painting or learning the ukulele or reading reading in, in, a, in about a topic that you are the not new languages in music is really right, powerful right exactly and even doing things that put you into the flow, you get this surge of neurotransmitters when you get into that alpha brainwave state, you know, thinking, what did I like to do when I was a kid? What brought me joy when I was a kid? What makes time just pass by very quickly? These are, these are the type of things that, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's writing, it's, it's uh, reading fiction, it's playing the guitar, uh, it's watercolor painting. These are all things I liked to do when I was a kid, and time just passes by. So yeah, quickly when I'm doing these, it's my friend uh, Mark Manson in the the subtle art of not giving an F. He he describes it as do things that make you forget to eat and poop. <laughs> forget to eat and poop. So so ultimately, that that would be one component that I think is oft neglected. Would be optimizing and being aware of your neurotransmitters. Yeah. What about if you were to sort of rapid fire say? And I, I love the depth. Um, in regards to neurotransmitter health. 
if you were to say, because we are besieged by these stimuli, right, like unprecedented in terms of human history um, at this stage in the game, and most uh, most people live in cities or, you know, and we're seeing a migration more and more towards kind of urban environments, given the fact, as you shared, that that stimuli is kind of nonstop and we're seeing, you know, you know, advent of 5G and all these different sort of, you know, inputs into our systems, what are some of, like, the whether it be environmental health, right, like air quality, water quality, um, you know, different different mechanisms mechanisms we can have in our life to support our health overall. I know you mentioned sleep. Um, are there are there things sort of that you would say if you had to distill down like three to five, you know. If, if, if everything else fell away, you know, and I'm sure you could go into deep nuance in every aspect of health and, and ways to optimize it, but are there, are there sort of three cores for, for those living, you know, a mom in, in Wichita, Kansas, who's got three kids and mm-hmm. is just like bombarded, what would be the, the core elements of like, of cognitive well-being or, or health, you know, optimization that you would recommend for an everyday person kind of besieged by stress? Particularly from an environmental standpoint, I would optimize four variables. Mm. Air, water, light, and electricity. Now, we could talk for a long time about any of those, but let me give you some practical tips. Please. Air. Install a HEPA air filter in your home, in your office, or in both. Go Google the NASA Clean Air Study and discover the dozen or so plants that NASA has found that act as bioremediants that clean the air naturally and that also serve as a little bit of nature therapy in your home. Things like peace lily and and English ivy, for example. And also even consider the use of things like essential oil diffusers with compounds that can improve mood or induce relaxation, like in in, in the gym or in the office, stimulating scents like peppermint or cinnamon or rosemary in in areas of relaxation like the bedroom, things like lavender and and rose and bergamot and chamomile. So optimize your air. From a light standpoint, try to mitigate your exposure to bright fluorescent light and even LED light. The background flicker that produces is very tiring to your neurotransmitters and to Mm. your cognition as a whole. If you can install in your home primarily incandescent bulbs, Those are the friendliest to human biology when it comes to not inducing stress. Get outside into as much natural sunlight as possible during the day, but when you're inside, as much as you can hack your environment to be primarily incandescent, that's going to be the friendliest form of light for you. Mm -hmm. And what I do is when I'm in an environment where I have no control, an airport, Mm -hmm. a, a mall, a gym, I wear glasses that are blue light blocking glasses that can decrease the amount of of flicker that I'm constantly being bombarded with that can exhaust the neurotransmitters in those situations. Mm. So optimize the air, optimize the light. From an electricity standpoint, be aware that that elements like 5G and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, all of these, even the, the background hum of your washer, your dryer, your dishwasher, all of these can affect neurotransmitter production. Your body is essentially a human battery that relies upon a, a proper electrochemical gradient across the cell membrane. And any of these can disrupt that gradient, especially in excess. Are you on a walk with your phone in your pocket? Well, there's no need for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to be enabled. There's no really reason that your phone can't be in airplane mode in a situation like that. When you sleep, you can unplug your Wi-Fi router. You don't need it when you're asleep, so why have it on? You have maybe seven or eight hours there where you don't have to be bombarded with Wi-Fi. When you run your washer, your dryer, your dishwasher, do it at night and then slip into the bedroom and get away from it all and go to bed. So electricity is is another thing that can tend to exhaust us. you know, the, the more that you can at least control your own environment when it comes to how much Wi-Fi, how much Bluetooth, how much electricity as a whole you're constantly being bombarded with, that's also smart. Then finally, from a water standpoint, you know, th- this is the, the fluid that we're, we're dumping into our gaping maw, you know, eight, ten, a dozen times a day. 
and when you and, and showering it, you know, the skin is just one giant mouth that absorbs anything that goes on it. That's why, you know, the best pharmaceutical delivery mechanism is often a lotion or or, or a cream. And if you're not aware of the cleanliness of the water that you're constantly using, you're often polluting your body with a lot of things that serve as endocrine disruptors, hormonal disruptors that can then affect your neurotransmitter production and your overall cognitive performance. They've found that men who shampoo with a you know normal off-the-shelf shampoo from the supermarket within a few minutes after taking that shower with the shampoo or the soap wind up with things like parabens and phthalates in their urine. That's how quickly these things wow. are absorbed. So what I'm saying is get a good water filter. If you're traveling, go to the grocery store before you check into your hotel and buy a, a paper bag full of good glass bottled water and, and use that instead of the hotel tap water or the nasty crinkly little plastic bottled water that they supply you with. Uh, when, when you shower, you know, try to actually you know, ensure that, that your entire home has some kind of a central home filtration system in it. And if it doesn't, you know, for, for a very affordable price, you can grab a shower head filter off Amazon and a little shower head filter in your shower there you know a lot of people just it's kind of funny even people who, who eat very healthy diets and spend lots of money at a fancy grocery store like whole foods or air one they you go to their house and the, the water is just crap and that also has a profound influence on human biology so air light water and electricity i would say would be the most important environmental variables to consider. So that would that would wrap up the the neurotransmitter piece. And of course, there are, there are a wonderful body of resources out there on neurotransmitters. I would I would look up doctors like I mentioned earlier, like Dr. Eric Braverman, uh, Dr. Daniel Kalish has some good work out there on this. Um, Bredesen's book is great as well. Yeah, doc, Dr. Dale Bredesen has a wonderful book. There's so many great great resources out now on the brain, uh, you know, uh, Max Lugavera and his book, uh, Genius Foods, Genius Foods and, and uh, you know, even, uh, not, not to shamelessly self-promote, but my, my book, uh, my, my first uh, New York Times bestseller, Beyond Training, there are three chapters in that that take a deep dive in, into cognitive optimization. And I'm working on a new book that has eight chapters on this, but ultimately, a uh, superhuman prescription. Amazing. Superhuman RX, and that book will come out in, in January of 2020. There are two other things that I mentioned that I think fly under the radar, although there are certainly, you know, as I was referring to when I was talking about Dale Bredesen and this multimodal approach, you know, we could go down any number of rabbit holes. But uh, uh, another area in addition to neurotransmitters that I think is important is the integrity of the small barrier between the blood and the brain. It's called the blood-brain barrier. It keeps toxins and inflammatory products out of the brain. Uh, and it, it, it essentially, when leaky, can result in a lot of things like, like brain fog and, and cognitive dysfunction, even early onset of things like Alzheimer's and dementia. People may have heard before of leaky gut, this idea that your body, your digestive system is really a, a it's a garden hose, and you can, as you're digesting food, if any areas of that garden hose are, are punctured or, or damaged or worn, get undigested food particles that cross from the digestive system into the bloodstream. Does that start, as a question, does that start with leaky gut? Like, I, I know I did a bunch of different tests. I did, like, gut health tests, microbiome, you know, heart tests brain tests, all, all different types of tests, even mitochondrial health. But one of the things that flagged was they said that I had some gut permeability and that if, I, if that remained unchecked, it allowed for some of those you know, toxins to pass through the gut and that it could potentially impact the brain. Um, is, are those two correlated in any way, shape, or form? And, and how would you recommend protecting the brain in that instance? Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at. When it comes to the integrity of your blood-brain barrier, what you need to understand is the intimate connection between the gut and the brain. If the gut is inflamed, you get many of these same large particles, inflammatory particles that are in the bloodstream, also presenting a stress to the blood-brain barrier. 
And so in the same way that you almost have like this autoimmune or inflammatory reaction against undigested food particles that have crossed from the gut into the blood, the same can happen when you have leaky gut to the brain. So the fix here would be to care for your gut if you want to care for the integrity of your blood-brain barrier. If you have leaky gut, that can be healed. It's typically brought on by overuse of antibiotics, uh, eating food in a very fast stress state, like when you're driving, being constantly activated when it comes to your sympathetic nervous system, the production of these excitatory neurotransmitters that I was talking about. All of this, especially when combined with ad libitum access to food that we tend to, to eat too much of or eat too often yeah. can result in this state of leaky gut. Uh, you would heal that by shifting to a diet that's a little bit clean for a while. The, you know, an example of that would be, for example, there's, there's a book called Gut and Psychology Syndrome about the link between the gut and the brain, and you shift to a very clean diet that's void of things like soy, eggs, dairy, wheat, a lot of these things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but if your gut is damaged, tend to be the things that can cause that to become aggravated even more. Mm. Uh, another example would be the specific carbohydrate diet or the SCD diet. One of my favorites is the paleo autoimmune diet. Uh, and, and this would involve consumption of things like, you know, organ meats and bone broth and, and fish and uh, a lot of kind of healing vegetables and fermented foods and a lot of things that, that can really help uh, the integrity of the gut lining and also the blood-brain barrier along with the consumption of certain supplements that help to heal the gut like uh, glutamine, mm -hmm. colostrum, uh, bone broth again can be fantastic for that. Uh, uh, there are even Ayurvedic teas like uh, marshmallow roots and slippery elm bark. Uh, uh, there, there's, uh, there's one other tea I'm forgetting the name of. Let's see, there's marshmallow root, slippery elm bark. Well, what I would recommend for, for, for the Ayurvedic approach is uh, Dr. John Duard's uh, work. Uh, he's an Ayurvedic physician out of Boulder, Colorado, who kind of teaches one how to heal their gut using Ayurvedic methods. But the big picture here is that if you care for your gut, your blood-brain barrier becomes more stable. One of the most damaging things to the blood-brain barrier and to the gut is uh, something called lipopolysaccharides, abbreviated LPS. These are toxic molecules that tend to be present when you combine high amounts of fat with high amounts of sugar, right? So we're talking about things like uh, fried chicken, standard uh, you know, bread and yeah. oil, uh, pizza, right, like bread and oil and cheese. Um, having a ribeye steak at a steakhouse, but also eating the bread basket, right? Or finishing it up with some of the um, some some of the, the the tiramisu, right? So, for example, if I go to a steakhouse because I don't want lipopolysaccharides, I have my big ribeye steak and I have roasted vegetables and, and sub the mashed potatoes for extra roasted vegetables. And when they bring the bread basket to the table, ask if I can do something like mushrooms instead. So I'm cognizant of whether or not I'm spiking fats and sugars simultaneously in my gut, which can lead to the production of these lipopolysaccharides. Highly palatable, high fat foods combined with high sugar foods tend to be the culprit when it comes to that. So ultimately for the blood brain barrier, you need to pay attention to the gut. You heal a leaky gut and you can often heal a leaky brain. Beautiful. And in the one small piece I want to touch on, uh, which I, you mentioned in the book earlier, uh, Max Lugavere, um, in terms of genus foods, he talks a lot about oils, which I feel like most people don't have a huge amount of awareness around in regards to the quality of oils because as you mentioned, high amounts of fat and sugar, I mean that's, that's commensurate with a great deal of the standard American diet. And so much of the restaurants that we frequent use oils that are not healthy and pro-inflammatory. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that you mentioned was this organ meat, and I know I, it, one of the people I interviewed was Dr. Terry Walls, who cured herself of progressive MS using diet and lifestyle. It, is there one particular diet, I think you mentioned the paleo, or, or a resource that you would refer to 
that you feel is strongest or have you written a blog post around the integrity of your gut and you know how one could if they have symptoms of leaky gut kind of go on a protocol to, to bring themselves back to health there's no one single best way to heal the gut but some of the better diets out there and you can mix and match many of these there's no rule you have to follow the one diet you can grab recipes from any of these books some of my favorites are uh, the GAPS diet, mm-hmm. uh, which has a book. Uh, the SCD diet, which does not have a book, but that has a website that you can go to and get recipes from. Uh, the Paleo Autoimmune diet, which has a, a book and a cookbook uh, and a website. And then more of an Ayurvedic type of cleansing protocol, in which case I would reference the work of, of Dr. John Dewyard uh, out of Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Those would be a few good examples. Uh, there's also a fantastic book written by my friend, Dr. Michael Ruscio, called Healthy Gut, Healthy You, which I think is a very good, scientifically informed book that's palatable for, for the general layperson when it comes to some really good strategies for healing the gut. Now, the, the third thing that I named that I think that a lot of people should pay attention to when it comes to their cognition and their brain health as a whole is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is, uh, it's, it's a cranial nerve, or begins as a cranial nerve, and snakes throughout the entire body. It uh, innervates organs. It's the primary nerve that serves as that connection between the gut and the brain. When that, when the vagus nerve is healthy, we call it a, a toned vagal nerve. It has good vagal nerve tone. What that means is that your rest and digest system, or your parasympathetic nervous system, fight and flight nervous system or your sympathetic nervous system are working in good interplay. These two systems can actually serve to innervate what's called the SA node, the sinoatrial node of the heart, resulting in normal electrical activity of the heart or a very high sensitivity of the heart to the signals that the nervous system is sending to it. Okay, so we call this, actually, there's a name for it. It can be very easily measured. It's called heart rate variability. Heart rate variability, if it's high, indicates good tone of the vagus nerve and good feedback between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. This is very important because poor vagal nerve tone often leads to inability to focus, uh, excess reactivity to stress, poor sleep, uh, symptoms of ADD and ADHD, an inability to learn new things well. A lot of these things that are associated with poor cognition all begin with a poorly toned vagus nerve. Now, there are ways that you can increase the tone or the health of your vagus nerve. Uh, For example, cold water immersion or cold water face dunks are very effective. It's a surprising tactic, but it works very well. It induces what's called the mammalian dive reflex. So for example, this is why one of the best activities for cognition in general is swimming, especially if you can swim in cold water, like a river or lake or outdoor pool. You tone the vagus nerve. It almost feels like moving meditation. There's a little bit of sensory deprivation. So there's the neurotransmitter component. And that's very, very good for the vagus nerve. Uh, Chanting, singing, Humming, a lot of these things that you would experience in, say, like a a kundalini yoga class or a church choir, these are very, very good for the the vagus nerve as well. It responds well to this vibration that's done through, like, the um that you would experience when when meditating or or in yoga or even just singing along to the radio, your favorite song. Uh, Meditation is very good for the vagus nerve and, and a variety of other parameters, but it's excellent for balancing the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, there, there are a lot of other ways to tone the vagus nerve. On, on my website, I have a podcast in which I delve in, into dozens of methods. But there are even uh, you know, so-called biohacks for this. Uh, many companies now produce and sell what are called vagus nerve stimulators. And I own a couple. Hmm. Uh, typically, there are electrodes that are placed either on the temporal lobes or on the ear lobes or back behind the ears. And these actually stimulate the vagus nerve. They, they enhance its tone. They settle down the sympathetic nervous system. And I'll often use these for an afternoon nap or prior to sleep. Uh, if you're in a state of stress, and especially if you've had a very stressful day and it's time to wind down for the evening, these things can, can kind of push you into that relaxed state, into a state of vagus nerve tone very easily. And I, I'm not saying you have to go out and buy uh, you know, 
most of them are $400, $500, some expensive device to tone your vagus nerve, I would say knock out the low-hanging fruit first, right? Take a, take a cold shower every day. How long meditate, of a cold chancing, hum. Two to five minutes is yeah. fine. You know, for, for vagal nerve tone, usually if you get your head under the water anywhere from three to five times, you'll start to notice every time you go under, you, you do a little bit less of the... <gasps> of the mammalian dive reflex, and that's an indication that your vagus nerve is becoming more toned. Uh, but caring for the vagus nerve is important, and what I like about that is it's quantifiable. Right? The integrity of the blood-brain barrier isn't so quantifiable, and like I mentioned, urinary neurotransmitter tests are not that accurate, but uh, wearing a ring or a wristwatch or a heart rate strap that can measure your vagus nerve uh, can instantly tell you the state of your vagus nerve and whether or not what you're doing is working. And furthermore, there's even a field of, of therapy called neurofeedback in which you can do certain things, forms of, of breath work, uh, meditation, gratitude, just thinking about uh, the feelings that give you peace or love or joy. And you can do this while wearing a, a heart rate strap and using a, a very simple phone app. Uh, I use one called Nature Beat that will show you exactly what your vagus nerve is doing in real time as you engage in those activities so you can learn things like, oh, my, my vagal nerve tone improves tremendously when I do alternate nostril breathing or when I think of three things I'm grateful for or when I simply take a deep breath in through my nose and out through my mouth or when I close my eyes and say a quick prayer or while I'm reading fiction. I've, you know, I've, I've worn these, these quantifying devices to the gym before and you know, and what I like to do is figure out the exercises that plummet my vagal nerve tone because those are signs that your sympathetic nervous system is very stressed. So if you're going to the gym to really put a stress on your body, which is actually why you should go to the gym, you know, you exercise hard, then you recover. So for example, I know that, that a back squat with a barbell on my back just plummets my vagal nerve tone which is great because that means that that exercise is very effective for me. So you can work in both ways, right? You can use the, the quantification of the vagus nerve to exhaust yourself or to figure out the things that, that cause you to become more relaxed. So ultimately, those would be the three things. It would be neurotransmitter balance, the blood-brain barrier, and the vagus nerve. Uh, that, that would be a very good place to start if you've already addressed some of these other basic variables like eating a healthy diet and learning new things and you know, caring for those environmental variables like air and light and water and electricity. Uh, that, that's, that's where I would start. I love it. Um, on that last piece, as you started talking about personalizing what, what optimizes your kind of vagus nerve, it made me think a little bit about sort of the future of personalized supplementation and personalized nutrition, given the fact that we can now test what is good for us based on our, our, our genetics, what's based, you know, based on our lifestyle. Where do you see or, or are there any ways in which you feel we can utilize diagnostic mechanisms to enhance um, you know, a personalized supplementation program or personalized nutrition program for our unique constitution? Some forms of personalized supplementation actually have good human clinical research behind them or uh, or, or have been proven to actually be effective. Let's take a simple example of like vitamin D. You can go and get a blood test for vitamin D. A lot of people, you can go and get a blood test for vitamin D. And a, a lot of people are under the impression that everyone should supplement with vitamin D when in fact, very high levels of vitamin D can cause arterial calcification. They can pull calcium into the bloodstream. Considering that's a $40 test, if you go and test your vitamin D and it's 80, 90, 100, you have no business supplementing with vitamin D. That, that, that's, that's a very simple example of personalization, whereas if you're under 40, that's probably a good idea for you to take 2,000 to 4,000 units of vitamin D each day. Another example is that you could go and test your ancestry you know, using a company like 23andMe or a genetic analysis, and you could learn that the majority of your ancestors came from Northern European culture, which dictates that you're probably going to do less well on a Southeast Asian diet comprised of citrus fruits and rice and, and heavy starches and, and fresh fish, and you'll probably do better on fermented, salted, pickled, and cured foods and, and meat and, and, and butter, and you probably have the, the lactose persistence genes. You can likely throw some dairy in there. And so that's an example of eating according to your ancestry. 
then there are other examples where personalization doesn't make sense. Uh, right now, there are a lot of companies testing your gut, your microbiome, and telling you, well, you take this probiotic strain or that probiotic strain to replace what seems to be missing in your gut. Well, there's zero human clinical research studies showing that that actually works, that if you're low in lactobacillus rootery from a, from a stool sample, that you should therefore go and buy a supplement and take a supplement that has that in it. So, you know, personalized probiotic supplementation, although very popular now, doesn't have a lot of evidence behind it. Eating according to your ancestry seems to be a good idea for a lot of people and works out quite well for a lot of people. Uh, and then you know, identifying certain blood parameters like, say, vitamin D or, or, or folates or uh, you know, antioxidants or omega-3 fatty acids, uh, that, that's a very smart way to be able to laser target your diet or your supplementation protocol. Absolutely. When it comes to eating according to your ancestry, a few good resources for people would be books. Uh, well, there are three good books. The Jungle Effect by Dr. Daphne Miller. Uh, Return to an Ancestral Diet by Dr. Michael Smith, and The 100-Year Diet by Dr. Stephen Lee. When it comes to personalizing your diet based on your blood work, uh, I, I would look into the work that a company called Longevity, based out of New York City, is doing right now. They're doing a very good job, like taking your blood and generating kind of this customized dashboard that says, well, here's the way that you should eat. Here's some recipes that would be very good for you. Here are some supplements that would be a good idea for you. And they, they seem to be doing a good job using like a combination of artificial intelligence and quantification to, to be able to, to kind of do what, you know, 10 years ago you would have paid the Princeton Longevity Institute, you know, 10 grand to do. A lot of, a lot of times artificial intelligence is able to do this now. So those are a few good resources for folks. Fantastic. And what about supplementation? I mean, is there anything that you recommend across the board that people be taking? Like, is there like three supplements that everyone should have in their life, whether it be fish oils or um, B vitamin? Is there any that you particularly endorse for, for everyone? I rarely make recommendations for supplements that I think everyone across the board should take. However, there are a few that have so much research behind them and have been shown to be so helpful and safe for people that I can with good conscience recommend them. One would be some type of omega-3 fatty acid supplementation on any days on which you do not eat a good healthy source of fish like sardines or herring or mackerel or wild-caught salmon or something like that. And you could achieve that via krill oil, uh, fish oil, a uh, blend of different plant oils, uh, algal oils, uh, there are a lot of ways to, to get omega-3 fatty acids into your diet, but I supplement just about every day with some form of omega-3s. Uh, this morning it was, uh, I had chlorella and spirulina and I had some, some grass-fed goat yogurt, you know, all of which have a, a good omega-3 profile. Um, creatine would be another. It's often considered to be a supplement for strength and power athletes and you know, football players or bodybuilders, but it staves off muscle loss with age. Uh, it uh, it, it it's, uh, enhances neural function. Um, it enhances uh, or, or improves sleep architecture, especially if you take it in the evening. So creatine, you know, it's very simple, very clean, um, and very affordable. And then finally, one that I think not a lot of people are aware of, but that I think is very important, even my kids take this several times per day, uh, is uh, a supplement that, that helps to protect the, the gut against the ravages of glyphosate. Mm. Because it's very difficult to find food now that doesn't have exposure to herbicides and pesticides and glyphosate. That one is called uh, lignite. It's a very small molecule that helps to restore the, 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 the gap that opens between the junctions and the gut when they're exposed to glyphosate. Something that would act very similarly to that, uh, that, that more people might know about, would be colostrum, which you can find as a supplement as well. So something to protect the gut against a lot of the things that we get exposed to, even if we're eating a healthy diet, you know, herbicides, pesticides, glyphosate, things like that. Those would be three, you know, fish oil or some form of omega-3 fatty acids, a creatine, and then something to protect the gut, like a colostrum or, or lignite, for example. Fantastic. Um, final question. Uh, what is there, is, is there any resource, I mean, well, one, I'd love to know, where, where's the best place for people to find you online? BenGreenfieldFitness.com is my website. 
huge resource. Uh, I've done incredible deep dives there, and we'll link up to some of the uh, some of the the books as well as the articles that you referenced. Obviously, um, my final question is: in this world of kind of information, right, where we're besieged, and you're one of the greatest sources, I think, of information as it relates to health and wellness. But is there is there one piece, if you were to give one piece of counsel to those listening in regards to beginning their health journey, whether that's someone who's a, you know, fanatical ultra endurance athlete or someone who, you know, maybe 60, 70 pounds overweight that's looking to kind of get that motivation or that inspiration or, or even just direction on how to start their journey. Is there any, is there any insight or resource or tool that you recommend for people um, to really consider as it relates to optimizing their health? We live in an era where it's very simple to get caught up in all the fancy, sexy tech and tools you can use to optimize health. Laser light therapy and photobiomodulation panels and cryotherapy chambers and stem cells, uh, you know, all these sleep enhancing tools and pulsed electromagnetic field therapy mats and, and smart drugs and nootropics. My recommendation is to return to your roots. I mean, you know, get sure get a grounding mat or an earthing mat, but not before you've adopted a habit of going outside in your bare feet. Uh, get one of these fancy infrared light panels, but you have no business doing that unless you're also getting out into the sunshine for for 20 or 30 minutes a day. Uh, stem cells respond fantastically to to fasting and caloric restriction. So adopt a you know a daily intermittent fast before you start to find some doc who will take $8,000 to $10,000 to inject you with stem cells. Uh, you know, before you get into a cryotherapy chamber, just start taking a, a cold shower in the morning before you head off to work. So the, the resource that I would recommend to people is the free resource that surrounds us all. It's nature, it's being outdoors, it's living an ancestral lifestyle, and I think that's a perfect place for people to start. Beautiful. Love it. Ben Greenfield, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time. There you have it. Absolute treasure trove of information from my man, Ben Greenfield. Uh, check him out. He's at Ben Greenfield Fitness on Instagram and uh, Ben Greenfield Fitness online. I think you'll get a, a, a tremendous amount of value from his content. Um, and, and go ahead and tag me at Michael Trainer and at Ben Greenfield Fitness and let us know what you uh, got out of the episode um, and send any questions or thoughts. Uh, I'd really be curious to hear what you guys got out of listening. Um, also, as I've shared before, uh, please go ahead and leave a rating and review on iTunes uh, and or share this episode with someone who you think would get value from it. Uh, the whole intention behind putting out all this content is to add value to your life and to this community's lives. And, uh, and anything you can do to help us grow is greatly appreciated. Um, so with that, I can't wait to share with you. We've got some really huge guests coming up. I'm so grateful for your listening, for your time and attention. I don't take it for granted. It means the world to me. Um, and so thank you. Thank you for listening. And with that, please go out there and live your inspired life.